As the children are being dismissed to their class, may I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in your copy of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you in the seats there, it's page 958. Now that song we sang is a, is a very powerful song in a lot of ways, and if we stop and think about what we're saying there, um, it really is a, uh, a very difficult thing that we're promising to do. In fact, it, it actually is something that... Um, tells us that we must live intentionally. Uh, the, the chorus or the refrain, you give and take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, we're basically, it's a quoting, of course, the psalmist, and it is, it is saying there that if God is giving in plenty, we're going to praise his name. But if God chooses in his sovereignty to take something away and we don't understand it, it's difficult, um, we still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm very encouraged by the faith of my sister, Marsha, who has lived this out and is living this out right now. And other friends that are going through difficult times right now, I couldn't help but think to pray for them as I was singing that song. That's what it means to live life intentionally. And so that's the goal of our text this morning, or the goal of this message this morning, is to take the truths of this text and to encourage us as believers to live uh, very intentional lives. So let me read the text, and uh, then I'll give you some background about the, the, the book here, and then we'll dive into uh, a short outline this morning. In chapter 10 and verse 23, it says this, All things are lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the, mark, in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions on ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether therefore, or for, excuse me, for whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul had a great love for this church here at Corinth. Now, if I were to say, this church reminds me of the church of Corinth. Most people wouldn't take that as a compliment. 
right? Because what do we know about the church of Corinth? We know that it was full of problems, right? We know that there were so many issues that Paul was dealing with here. In fact, when we read in the text there, the quotations, those are things that were written to him, and so he's responding to that. So in verse 23, when that quotation, all things are lawful, end quote, that is he is responding to that quotation or to something that they wrote to him. And so there was a lot of correspondence between Paul and the church of Corinth. He loved this church. In fact, we have more evidence of him communicating to this church than any other church. Let me say it a different way. There is no other church in the New Testament that we have record of, based on the records that we have, that there's no other church that Paul communicated more with than the church of Corinth. We have two books in our New Testament here of, uh, uh, of letters to the church of Corinth. But there is evidence in 1 Corinthians that there was actually another letter that Paul had previously written to the church of Corinth. And so that actually, that actually means that 1 Corinthians is actually probably the second letter that he um, uh, wrote to them. And if you were to read the book of 2 Corinthians, you would see that Paul was talking about another letter that he had sent to the church of Corinth and dealt with some things that doesn't match up with the book of 1 Corinthians. And so most scholars believe that there was actually then another book. And so the book of 2 Corinthians actually becomes the fourth letter. So we have a letter that we have lost to history. We have the book of 1 Corinthians. Then we have another letter that was not included in the, in the scriptures for whatever reason has been lost to history. And then we have the book of 2 Corinthians. And so history teaches us that Paul wrote to this church no less than four different times. No other church could, could this be said of. He wrote to this church because he cared for them. Now, the church started, if you wanted to know the background of the church of Corinth, you would have to go back to the book of Corinthians, excuse me, the book of Acts. And in chapter 16, first of all, we find out about that this Macedonian call where, where Paul wanted to go to different places and on his mission strip, but he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go there. And so eventually he sees this vision of a Macedonian messenger saying, come over to us. And so they go there. And then so so he gets to this, uh, this place of Philippi. He begins to minister there. He's put into prison. He is, he, is, uh, um, he is kicked out. And then he comes into chapter 17 of Acts. Uh, uh, Luke is recording for us where he goes to the, book, uh, or, or to the city of Thessalonica. And Thessalonica then, they, some people receive him, but the Jews did not. And they, they formed a mob to get Paul and to kick him out of the city. So then Paul is forced to go to Berea. And then at Berea, the Jews were more noble there, we said. Uh, the scriptures teach there that Luke uh, tells us about. And so they listened to Paul. But the mob from Thessalonica came back into Berea. They followed Paul and they were stirring up people there, thereby making Paul have to leave Berea as well. Paul goes to Athens. He has a short time there. And then it's after Athens in chapter 18 of Acts that we get that Paul begins his ministry in Corinth. Now, Paul was at a low point here. He had just been beaten. He had just been imprisoned in Philippi. Then in Thessalonica, a mob was forming, ran him out of town, where they literally had to make him leave in the middle of the night. And so the middle of the night, under the cover of darkness, they had to force Paul to leave Thessalonica. 
And then he gets to Berea, and there seems to be some good things happening there. And people are accepting the message that Paul is preaching there, and he's encouraged, and things are going well. But then the mob comes and follows him there, and he has to leave again. He goes to Athens, and there's mixed results there. People mock him for the message that he gives there. Some people do at Mars Hill there. So when he comes to Corinth, what I'm trying to paint the picture of here is that Paul enters the city broken. He enters the city bruised. It appears that something snapped in Paul in the the city of Corinth because he goes and we read in Acts 18, he says he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. He tried to. Indicates that success probably wasn't there. And then Silas and Timothy come and join him there. But then we read about more opposition. In Acts 18, it says, And they opposed and reviled him, and so he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So it was at Corinth that something snapped in Paul. He said, That's it. I'm tired of this. I've gone to you. I've given the message time and time again. And it doesn't matter what city I'm in. The Jews are rejecting me, and so that is it. But it was at Corinth there that people did believe Paul. It says many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision. And it was in Corinth that Jesus appears to Paul. This is one of the seven times in the book of Acts that Jesus appears. Jesus appears to Paul and he says, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city, Corinth, I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So that's the background of how these letters, this relationship started. Paul was frustrated, Paul was bruised, Paul was hurting, but yet at the same time in this city, Jesus appears to him and says, I've got many people here, go on, keep preaching here. Paul was encouraged then. So Jesus intervened, and so it would, be, uh, it would not be an overstatement to say that it took supernatural intervention for Paul to stay in Corinth and start the church. For all their problems, there were some, there were some good things about the church at Corinth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, he, this is how he describes this church here. Let me turn back to 1 Corinthians 1. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 says, So that you, talking about the church of Corinth, the, the people there, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are high words of commendation. That you are not lacking any spiritual gift. I mean, wouldn't that be great to be said of us, that our church here, that we are not lacking anything? And so this church was problematic. This church did have problems. But God was blessing here. And there was doubtful things. There were questions that were coming up. They didn't know how to live their lives. And so Paul was giving instructions throughout these Books. Not only do we have the, the combination of Paul that, 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 these, that they had every spiritual gift, but, but this is where it was in Corinth where that Paul met Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla were hallmarks and, and pillars that, that supported the work of the ministry. And it was at Corinth that Apollos joined the team. 
Apollos was a, a very excellent preacher of the Word of God and, and greatly used by God. And so there was a glut of leaders here in this church at Corinth, both professionally and lay leaders. Now, I said earlier that to our knowledge, Paul did not write to a church more than he wrote to the church of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1.5, it alludes to a previous letter, which is lost to history, which I mentioned before. And there was other letters that were written, and so we have this, this love relationship that Paul has with the church of Corinth. Now, the good thing about the problems of the church of Corinth, though, is that we get some good practical instruction on how to live our lives. Most people tend to live life passively and make their decisions from a reactive standpoint. But as Christians, we are called to live our lives intentionally. Now, much of life is a wisdom call, though. I mentioned this earlier. How are we to respond? Throughout, the, throughout history, churches have disagreed over how to respond to things like movies, going to the theater, alcohol. I know in our church we have differing opinions about the issue of alcohol. Can we, can a Christian consume alcohol? Some people say yes, some people say no. How do, we, how do we navigate this? Education options for families. Homeschool, public school, private school, then even after high school, going to uh, a, a state school or a Bible college. In churches, Christians differ along these things. Dress, how do we dress? What is appropriate for dress? Hair length on men and women. Radio. Did you know that the church was greatly divided? At one time, it was greatly divided over the issue of radio. And one of the arguments was, it was that, well, the reason why we should refrain from listening to the radio is because the, one of the, the titles for the devil is that he is the prince and power of the air. And so he's controlling what's going on here. So whatever we hear on the radio is under the control and dominion of Satan. And so as Christians, we should not listen to it. Now, I don't agree with that line of thinking, but in churches in history, this was a debate. TV, internet, blue jeans. I remember as a youth pastor uh, uh, at a um, pretty fundamentalist church when I was my first ministry, um, I had a deacon pull me aside and say, you need to talk to the people, the kids in your youth group. I said, okay, well, what's going on? And he said, well, they're wearing blue jeans at church. Those are work clothes. We need to dress our best to come to church. And I said, well, I said, well, they didn't come out of my front door <laughs> to come to church. So you're probably talking to the wrong person. You need to talk to the parents if that's really an issue. But I don't know that that's an issue. Now, thankfully, years later, this older gentleman had grown so much in the Lord. He walked in the church one day, and he was wearing blue jeans. So I pulled him aside. And I said, I just want to remind you of a conversation we had about seven years ago. And he knew exactly what I was referring to. And we actually just rejoiced that he had grown past some of those hang-ups that he had had. But that's a, that's a legitimate issue that some people have dealt with. Back in the day, wire-rimmed glasses. I've read about this, that churches were uh, upset about this. Mixed congregational singing. Uh, some churches do not believe that men and women should sing together. Instruments in the church, singing songs outside the Psalter or the Book of Psalms, playing with card, uh, uh, playing card games, 
Uh, again, I remember as a boy, we, we would play with cards, and then I remember uh, an evangelist came through our church and gave a whole big long thing about how every uh, part of the, the deck of cards uh, was an abomination to God. And so for years, my parents were like, oh, well, you know, let's get rid of the cards. Churches are divided on these things. Drama, theater, holidays. Halloween is a big issue. Do we let our kids go trick-or-treating? I know we have a difference of opinion here about this. In Paul's day, the issue were mainly eating, drinking, and holidays. In a lot of ways, Paul's days are no different than our days. How do we navigate these things? I believe one way is to make sure that we're very intentional with what we do and how we do it. So as we walk through this text, I'm going to suggest three things that intentional living must include. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what intentional living means. I'm just looking at this text and drawing out three principles from here. Number one, intentional living must include loving your neighbor as yourself. He says here, it says, all things are lawful, quote, unquote, but not all things are helpful. What does he mean by not all things are helpful? And then he says, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. What is he talking about? Not about being built up. Well, he goes on to then tell us in verse 24, he says, let none seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so what Paul is trying to say here is like, as we live our lives and as we're making our decisions of what we should do and what we should not do and what we should allow our families to do and what we should not allow our families to do, in the context of the church and as we're interacting with each other, we should always be conscious of the fact that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves and we are to make sure that as we make our decisions that we are thinking of our neighbors as well. Romans chapter 15 Verses 1 and 2 state this. It says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And so we see this pattern throughout Scripture, not just here in Romans, not just here in 1 Corinthians, but we see this all throughout the Scriptures where as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must be conscious and cognizant of the fact that we are influencing other people and that we are around other people. The fact of the matter is, though, is that so many times when we make our decisions, we don't want to think of other people. And we think, well, why should, I, why should these people influence me? Now, Paul does a very good job in this text, and at first, when you first read, it's a little confusing here. But as you work through and you see what he's really trying to say here, it actually is super helpful to us here. Because of what, there's two ditches to avoid here, as most things. The one ditch on the one side of the road is that we just do anything we want. We say, I don't care what anyone else says. You know, it doesn't matter to me how it affects them. I'm my own man. I'm going to do what I want to say. I'm going to have it my way right away. And so this is the one ditch to avoid, okay? We don't want to do that. But the other ditch to avoid on the other side of the road is that we are so bound up with what people might think and what people could say or someone might be offended with this that we can't do anything and we're paralyzed. And we're always going to frustrate somebody. No matter what, no matter what decision we make, uh, uh, even deciding not to do something is a decision that will frustrate somebody. So we can't be in this ditch either. So where's the middle ground here? Well, the scenario that Paul has placed or has painted for us here, this hypothetical situation, was that if someone were to ask this person over for a meal. Now, it's not just any person. Paul is careful to talk that in this text here that it is about an unbeliever. We see this in verse 27. It says, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go. 
So that's the scenario. Now, Romans 14, which is another text you'll want to study if we're going to be talking about these type of things. Romans 14, that deals with just believers. Okay, It does not bring in the concept of the unbeliever into the scenario. But the, but the text before us does bring the context of someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. It's so someone who doesn't claim to be a follower of Christ, but they invite someone who does claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They invite them over to their house and so what Paul says, if they put the, the meal down, don't ask any questions about it. Because the issue of the day was, as many of you are familiar with, was that there were offerings that were given to idols and false gods. We see this uh, in, the, in the previous context of this chapter, where there were uh, false idols set up, and so the, the meat would be bought from the market, and then they would be given to the idols, and they would sit there, they'd be offered. Well, Idols are idols, they don't eat meat, and so after a short time, they would remove the meat, so they'd be allowing for other people to offer their sacrifice to this false god. But what do they do with the meat? Well, they had a marketplace, and they were going to sell it. It was a reduced cost, most likely, and so they would sell it, and so then people could buy it if they wanted to. It was perfectly good meat, there was nothing wrong with it, and it was cheaper. It's like going to Aldi, okay? And so, and so this is what, so Paul, being the economist, was like, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Save yourself some money. And it's no problem because, I mean, they're false, they're, they're idols. They're, they're, it's not an issue at all. And so what Paul says is he says, don't worry about it. Just go and eat. But, he says, if someone raises the question and says, wait a minute here. This was offered to idols then don't. Now the reason why he, he brings this up is because, and maybe and there's, there's a variety of opinions about this here. The variety of opinions that in verse 28 says, if someone says to you, who is that someone? Some people say, that's the unbeliever. That's the host. If the host says, now, oh, wait a minute, I forgot. You're a Christ follower. I offered this or this was offered an idol. You know, you probably don't want to eat it. That's one interpretation. Another interpretation is that it's another Christian that is at the supper with this believer. That as the meat sat down before him, he knows, but he kind of nudges his buddy and says, wait a minute here, this meat was offered. This, this is a bad deal here. We can't do this. And so at that point, because of this person's conscience, he says, do not do it. The point of the text here in the beginning, or one of the points of the text here, is that we should always be doing things to build up one another. And that takes a wisdom call. At that moment there, he's sitting at the table, and he sees his brother there who is struggling with this. And so instead of just, just rolling over him, he says, no, I'm not going to do this. An illustration about this uh, that comes to my mind every time I read this text because one of the, the issues that the church has faced for years and years and will continue to face is the issue of music. And I remember going through, I've gone all over the map in my short life of what I should listen to, what I shouldn't listen to. I have purchased and burned more cassettes and CDs than I care to admit. You're going through this, this, this ups and downs in my Christian life, particularly in high school. I remember in high school, my brother liked to listen to contemporary Christian music, and I was in a phase at that point where I was like, no, this is wrong. And if I were to tell you the groups and things that he listened to, you would laugh at how mild they were. But my conscience was really bothering me, and I was working through this. And so I remember 
getting into the car with my brother, two teenage guys, going to basketball practice or something like this, and my brother had some of his music on, and so he started the car up, the music starts playing. Without saying a word, not making a big deal, he reached over, turned it off, and we just drove down the road. And I looked at him and I said, Jason, if you want to listen to it, go ahead. And he said, no, I know that it bothers you, and so I don't need to listen to it right now. That, to me, I thought, wow, there was, there was maturity in that. That he was willing to say, because I was the weaker brother at that point. I was the person who, who was still struggling with some of those things. Paul gives us an indication here that, that we can enjoy things. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We can enjoy these things. And so he says, it's okay to eat to me. But we, are gonna, we live in a church, and we, we, we live in a family here. And we have difference of opinions on some things. And so as, on a personal level, as we're trying to get along with each other, sometimes that means turning the radio off. Sometimes that means not, if you have people at your house, not offering wine with the meal. Because you know it's a problem. You know it's, it's, it's an issue. Um, and sometimes, you, you know, we just, that, that's, that's a way of building one another up and being bearing with one another. See, what Paul is getting at here is he's saying, always be conscious of loving your neighbor as yourself. And remember, isn't that the second greatest commandment? Remember when Jesus said, when he was asked what was the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Remember this? And then he said, the second one is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. That principle is all throughout scriptures, and, and, and this is one thing I pray for our church. I pray that we would just always love each other as ourselves. Because I believe that a lot of problems would go away. I believe a lot of the issues of unity would just, just disappear if we simply loved our neighbors ourselves. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, in verses uh, uh, 36 to 40, you remember Jesus there is talking about in the future, and he says that uh, uh, he's going to tell people, he says, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the people, the righteous people, that they're going to look at him and they're going to say, when were you naked? And when were you hungry? And when were you in prison? And Jesus says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. This, this pattern throughout all of Scripture is love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others with respect. And, and, and sometimes at the risk of putting aside your own rights. Remember Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is in this interaction with this man. Remember this? And the man seeking to justify himself, he said, well, well, who is my neighbor? And so Jesus then begins to answer the question by telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And the story goes on that as he goes through this whole story, this whole parable there about this Good Samaritan, this person whom was, would have been the villain of any other story, the Samaritan, was the hero. And what made him the hero? He loved his neighbor. Jesus asked the man the question. He says, well, who is the one that was the neighbor to him? He says, well, the one who took care of him. And so throughout all of Scripture, here's a principle that we've got to just nail down and, 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 and have it stored up in our souls is that we should seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so in this text here, he says, this is, this is an aspect of here of, of as you're navigating difficult situations, he says you can get through some of these things by simply doing for the good of his neighbor. And so intentional living must include loving your neighbor as yourself. 
Now, the text goes on to give other parts of the scenario here and teaches us some other things that could be helpful to us as we live in this gray world. Most of us, or a lot of people, we're, we're, we're not comfortable with gray. We like black and white. But the world simply is not always black and white. And we have to make wisdom calls on some things. Now, there is a lot of things that are black and white that people, or there are a lot of things that are black and white that people want to make gray. I understand that. But there are things like this here that we need to understand are wisdom calls. Number two, if you're taking notes, intentional living must, in, must include carefully enjoying God's good gifts. Carefully enjoying God's good gifts. Because he basically says here, go ahead and eat the meat. He says in verse 26, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He basically says, go ahead and eat it. There's nothing wrong with it. If you eat the meat, you're not sinning. Don't worry about it. But then he tells us not to eat it if it's going to bother someone else. And so that's where the idea of carefully coming, uh, carefully enjoying these gifts come in. When he says there, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, in verse 26, he's quoting Psalm 24.1. And so he says, go ahead and enjoy what God has given without asking questions. Now this, like I said before, verse 28 through 30 has a lot of opinions about this. Let me read the text again, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that for a second here. It says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, this meat has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined for someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that uh, for which I've given thanks? It almost appears when you first read this, and maybe it's just me. When I first read this, I think, wait a minute, Paul's contradicting himself. I don't know if anyone else struggles with that. I don't know if anyone else read that and you come with the same thing. Maybe it's abundantly clear to you. But for a while, as I'm reading this thing, I'm thinking, man, this is, this, is, this is totally contradicting yourself, Paul. He says, you know, if someone says you don't eat it, but then he says, well, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Well, isn't that what you just did? Well, what, what's going on here? What, what, you know, and, and so you begin to wrestle with this and, and start to think of how you can interpret this. Well, here's what I believe that Paul is teaching in this text here. I believe that the easiest solution for that is that in verse 29, Paul moved past the hypothetical scenario that he has built. And in the situation, the believer should refrain. So in that hypothetical situation, he should refrain. But what Paul is saying there, he's saying, he says, but that, that does not carry into the rest of your life. And so you, he says, I'm not saying this for your conscience, so your conscience should be changed as a result of refraining. He's, he's saying, you know, if you're sitting at the meal, the guy says, man, this has been offered idol. What are we going to do? And man, this is bothering me. You know, we're going to defile God if we do this and everything. You know, you know he, he's, he's saying, you know, don't, don't look at him and say, hey, you know, come on, grow up. It's all right. You know, don't worry about it. You know, you know just put some A1 on it. It'll be fine. You know, that's not, that's not what he's saying, okay? You know, he, he, he's, he's saying, Go ahead and refrain. But what he's saying is he's saying for the sake of that person's conscience, not my conscience. So I can get up from the table and leave, and my conscience can still remain the same, where I can still go and enjoy meat and other occasions, but just not with the brother because I love him so much. That's what he's saying there. And so he says, so why should my liberty be, be controlled by this person's conscience? So later on, as I'm at a different home, and there's no issue there, I shouldn't feel at that moment, oh, wait, but brother so-and-so over there, he is just really bothered. I just can't enjoy this right now. He's saying, no, that's the, his conscience shouldn't affect you in other scenarios. But when you're sitting next to him at a meal, love your neighbors yourself. What would you want him to do? 
And so as we, as, we, as we try to piece this together and try to see what Paul is teaching us, this is where I think that Paul is saying, enjoy, but carefully. Be, in, be willing to put it aside. Be willing to, to say, no, I don't need to do this for this situation. And so as he says, well, I, I do not mean your conscience, but his, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thanks, thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? He's not, what he's saying is, there, is that I can continue to enjoy these things in other situations, but just not here with this brother because I love him so much. Now, this, like I said, we, we can make application of this in all, sur- all sorts of ways. Um, alcohol, uh, voting choices, eating vegetarian, Halloween, all these things are just some things that came to my mind as I was thinking, how does this apply today? Again, we have differing of opinions. Let's just pick one. Let's pick Halloween. We have, we have differing opinions on whether or not Christians should let their kids go trick-or-treating. And I've been on both sides of it, okay? And it really doesn't matter uh, uh, what I believe on that. But what I will say is that as we navigate through this, we need to make sure that we are not looking down at anyone else. That's where Romans 14 comes in. Take your Bibles go to Romans 14. I didn't plan on going here, but I think it's important. So Romans 14. So when I said I didn't plan it, that means I'm away from my notes, so who knows what's going to happen. So... Romans 14. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, if you're using one of the Bibles, it's page 948. As as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him not to quarrel, but not to quarrel over opinions. Okay, so right off the bat here, we get to a situation where Paul is saying... Brothers and sisters are going to get together and they have different opinion. One person's a more mature believer than the other one. And often in the case with more immature believers, there's a lot more hang-ups because they're still trying to navigate some things. And so what Paul is saying here is he says, look, for the one who is weak in faith or someone who is, is, is constantly caught up in things, welcome him, but don't bring him in just to quarrel over opinions. I read a text, uh, uh, I'm reading a book right now, and the author says in there, he's talking about the, the perils of postmodern thought. And, and we all are influenced by postmodernism. Uh, even if we try not to be, we are. And he said, um, rational argument is almost impossible because it's always reduced to a matter of personal opinion. And it's true. I don't know if you've ever been in a Facebook debate or dialogue. It always, almost always ends up in just a matter of personal opinion. Uh, I was just in one uh, yesterday uh, and uh, over the immigration question uh, issue, and uh, I was simply saying the only point I was trying to make in this whole thing was not what should the United States of America be doing about the immigration issue with all the people coming over. That I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I know it's a super complex issue, and, and people with higher pay grades need to figure that out than me. But what I was trying to articulate was we are Christians first and Americans second. So what should our role be as the Christian in this situation? And um, so going through text of Scripture, but a lot of people didn't want to interact with that 
It was just a matter of personal opinion. And so what he says here is don't get into these arguments. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while, while the weak person eats only vegetables. This is my verse I turn to for my steak love right there. Um, let not the one who eats despise the ones who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And he says later on in this text, let each person, this is verse 5, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And so the point here is our response to this is not to pass judgment or to look down on other people. And so if we have a brother or sister in the church that, that thinks that we should abstain from something and we think it's okay, our response is not to look down on them and think, man, when are they going to grow up? When are they going to just get mature like me and enjoy this? It's wrong. And then it's not, and if we are refraining from something, then we look at across the aisle and we see brothers and sisters enjoying this, or we know that they do, pick alcohol, holidays, whatever, you think, man, I don't know why they're not as spiritual. I mean, how can they call themselves Christians and yet have a glass of wine? The point here, Paul is saying, is we need to be convinced in our own mind, but here's the key. Look at this in verse uh, 6. For the one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he has given thanks to God, while the one who abstains, uh, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The key is that they're both doing it in the honor of the Lord. And again, this is, this is not believers trying to get justification. This is not believers going back to Judaism. That's dealt with in Galatians. This is not um, a, a group of people saying that following the law is more important than Christ. That's dealt with in Colossians. What is dealt with here, what Paul is dealing with here, is sincere believers who just want to please God. They, they, they love Jesus. They love God, and they want to honor Him. And as they're navigating life, and they're making these decisions, these wisdom calls, and they're trying to figure out what they should do, they say, you know what? For me and my house, we're not going to do this. And another family says, for me and my house, we're not going to do this, or we are going to do this. Do it unto the Lord, but don't cast judgment on one another. Because when we do that, when we start questioning another person or another family's spirituality based on what they are or not doing, that is creating disunity. And Paul is saying, do not do this. And so intentional living must include carefully enjoying God's good gifts. So enjoy what God has given if your conscience is free to do it. But do it in honor of the Lord. So you know, whatever the issue is, whatever the, 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 the tension is, are you doing it in honor of the Lord? That's the question here. So intentional living must include carefully enjoying God's gift. Let me, let me finish, go to the third point, just to make sure I can finish this. We may come back to that. Number three, intentional living must include a pursuit of God's glory in all things. It's a segue from Romans 14. This is a universal application. Back in 1 Corinthians 10, he says this. He says in verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is the reason why we're doing it. So if you're eating, great, do it for the glory of God. If you're not eating, do it for the glory of God. If you're drinking, do it for the glory of God. 
And again, we're not talking about drunkenness here. Okay, that, that, I, think I, I, I don't, didn't think I needed to say that, but maybe I do. We're not talking about drunkenness here. That's clearly condemned in Scripture. But um, some things are not condemned in Scripture. Do it for the glory of God. Notice verse 32. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God. So he basically gives a universal application here. Don't offend the Jews. Don't offend the Greeks or the church of God. Now, why would he have to include this? Well, because these are people coming together. We have proselytes. We have people who are coming together who are being saved and joining the, the, the following of Jesus Christ. And so what he says here is he says it would be easy for people to say, well, those are the Jews stuck in their, their traditions. Or those are the, the heathen Greeks. And, you know, those are, you know that's their background. He says, no, 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 Don't, it doesn't matter who it is. In the church of God, do all things for the glory of God first. And secondly, don't be unnecessarily offensive. Now, at times we are going to be offensive. The message that we have is an offensive message to the world. And so if the message offends, then let it offend. That's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about proclaiming Christ and someone getting offended and we say, oh, maybe we shouldn't proclaim Christ. Proclaim Christ. What he's addressing, it's a whole different issue. What he's addressing is he's saying in the context of the church as we're interacting with believers, don't do things that are going to just unnecessarily offend somebody. We've, um, we've made choices, my wife and I have made choices uh, with other family members where we feel certain liberty in some areas, but we know that our family members some family members do not. And so, based on this, we've just chosen to uh, abide by, when we're together with them, by what they believe. Uh, one, one issue for a while was actually celebrating Christmas. A family member had a, uh, a very strong aversion to celebrating Christmas because of the materialism, felt it took the focus off Christ and the gift of Christ and, and made sense. And so when we were with that family member, we did not exchange gifts. We did not buy gifts and did not expect gifts. And, you know, like anyone else, I like getting gifts. You know, I could have, I could have been like, Insistent and said, no, you're, you're getting a gift because, you know, this is how we celebrate Jesus' birth. This is how we, we uh, uh, worship Jesus is by giving gifts. And so, here, take a gift. And I'm waiting for mine. <laughs> it, 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 would be an unnecessary, uh, it would be an unnecessary fight. It, it, it wouldn't have made any sense. Out of love for the family member, we said, no, we're not going to do that. And so these are wisdom calls that we all have to make. So vacation plans, family expansion plans, etc. As we're as we're walking this life, we as Christians have a lot of decisions to make. How are you making them? My goal today is not to try to tell you, yes, you can do this, no, you can't do that. That's not my place. Most of these issues that we're talking about here are between you and God. But what I am trying to say is be intentional with those decisions. Don't just not do something because your family's never done it, and don't do something simply because your family's always done it. 
Be intentional with how you're acting in this world. We are salt and light in this world. We are called to be strangers in this world. And so we are to be different from the world. And it does not mean that we can't do anything like the world. But what it means is that we have different purposes for what we do. And so as we are navigating this life and we're trying to figure out what we should do and what we shouldn't do, I pray that this text comes back and is helpful. And if you're unsure... Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He says, find a godly man, find a godly woman, and say, you know, hey, this is someone who I can imitate as you are growing in the Lord. That could be an easy way for you to be navigating some of these things. And so, when you make your plans, can you honestly say that there is a conscious intention to bring glory to God? Like I said, I mean, you know, a lot of times, like even vacation plans, and this is, this is something that's fresh in my mind because I just came off of vacation. The decisions we made on vacation of where to go for a vacation, what to do on vacation, and all those type of things, did, was there an overarching goal to glorify God in that? How, how long we spend on vacation, where we go, how often we go on vacation, all these things. Does it bring glory to God? Are we doing this for the glory of God? These are all questions that we must wrestle with. Now, for, for the record, I do think a Werner Slurpery can bring glory to God. Um, so for those of you who followed my Facebook uh, post when I was on vacation, Michigan has these stores called 7-Eleven. Are there 7-Elevens in Wisconsin at all? Yes? No? Okay. Some of you were sleeping until just then, so thanks for waking up. But um, <laughs> Slurpee? <laughs> but... Um, um, uh, yeah, the, these, these stores in Michigan have these, these, these wonderful treats called, uh, uh, you know, uh, Slurpees, and they have a Verner's flavored one, and, and I had four of them while I was in Michigan. Uh, stop judging. We talked about this. Romans 14. All right. All right. Okay. Um, I'm not looking down at you for not having refined taste here, but, um, but in all seriousness, are we doing everything for the glory of God? Is that a passion of ours? To live intentionally for the glory of God. The point of today's sermon is to encourage us to stop and think as we make our decisions. We need to factor in the effect of on our neighbor and the glory of God as we make our decisions. This has ramifications concerning vacation time and locations. It has ramifications on our entertainment choices and our Facebook updates. It has ramifications on our church involvement. It has ramifications on our personal expenses. Do all for the glory of God. Let's be Christians who live intentionally for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could study this text. I pray it's a help. I, I know it's a help to me as I navigate life, and there's so many, so many choices we have to make, and, and, and sometimes they're not easy choices. They're, they're not easy decisions. It's, it's, uh, we often... We often would want just kind of a big rule book of, yes, you can do this, and no, you can't do that. It'd be so clear. But there's no relationship in that, and I believe then we can, it's a greater testament to the the glory of God when we have unity when we disagree on some of these non-essential issues. And so, Lord, I do pray that we would, first of all, uh, keep the main thing the main thing. It's too easy to become too, to feel too strongly about doubtful things. Help us to have humility in our opinions. And Lord, I pray that we'd always go back to the scriptures and let the scriptures guide us and that we do all for the glory of God. For it's in Christ's name we do pray.
Amen.